0: Welcome to HB Media Minute, a podcast from Haynes & Boone that focuses on legal trends impacting the media and entertainment industry, intellectual property, and First Amendment law. I'm Nathan Koppel, the Director of Media Relations for Haynes and & Boone, and I'm joined today by Haynes-Boone counsel Darwin Bruce, who will walk us through a checklist of key items that parties should consider when structuring transactions involving the entertainment industry. Darwin joined us earlier on the podcast to talk about the dynamic growth in the streaming media industry, and we're excited to have him back. Darwin's practice focuses on media and entertainment transactions, corporate governance, mergers and acquisitions, finance, and real estate. Before we get started, our usual disclaimer, this podcast is for informational purposes only, is not intended to be legal advice, and does not establish an attorney-client relationship. The topics we discuss are subject to change. Legal advice of any nature should be sought from your legal counsel. All right. With that aside, uh, Darwin, welcome back to the podcast.
1: Thank you, Nathan. It's a pleasure to be back with you again.
0: Great. I'm excited to get going today. Can you kick things off by describing your background advising entertainment industry clients? Has has that long been an an area of focus for you?
1: It has. Uh, I, I was able to, I was fortunate enough to be able to work with a media entertainment company for several years. Uh, We worked on several different projects uh, that included daily broadcast and uh, syndicated talk shows and and co-produced several movies. Uh, So there was a wide variety of experiences that were allowed. And so I had an opportunity to work in many different uh, areas of the industry.
0: That's great. I'm sure it's any young lawyer's dream to be able to work on entertainment transactions. so, I would think a starting point in structuring entertainment transactions would be to identify, of course, the type of transaction and the parties involved. Um, in, in doing that, in, uh, what are some basic issues to think about?
1: Sure. I mean, uh, you know when you think about the entertainment industry, uh, I like to, to to break it apart between the types of transactions associated with the actual production of entertain, entertainment projects and those who are actually providing services within those projects. So, for example, in the film and television uh, video production industry, you know, you'll know you have agreements that relate to production services, uh, financing and distribution agreements, you have licensing agreements, you have releases, uh, development agreements, and, and, the, and the like. So th- those are the agreements that would normally be in the background that most people wouldn't think about in terms of true media entertainment, but they're truly a, a core Part of the industry. Uh, but then you also have your, your book and music publishing uh, agreements uh, that are also important. And then ultimately, the professional service agreements, which really what people think of when they think of entertainment transactions, they're thinking about the agreements with the actual performers or singers or, or professionals. And so that's generally where they're focusing on. And that, that it could include directors, actors, writers, uh, musicians, anyone who's providing a service.
0: Well, that that makes sense. Um, and I would think another important issue is is identifying the scope of the intellectual property that's being conveyed in a transaction. Can you walk us through some of the key elements to to cover, in what I what I uh, understand are called the grant of rights provisions?
1: Sure, sure. Um, I do think it's also important to, on, on the front to identify. Even before getting to the scope of rights, the type of parties that are involved, so are you dealing with individuals or corporate entities or a combination of those, and, and and also determine if there are minors involved, uh, because those those key elements also play an important role in determining the right approach to take when you're looking at the grant of rights. Uh, with regard to the grant of rights themselves and the scope of those rights, uh, you, you consider uh, what what type of right we're talking about, what type of instrument we want to use to transfer any rights or to uh, build on any rights. So, for example, uh, is it going to be a licensing arrangement? Is it going to be an assignment of existing rights? Or uh, is it going to be work made for hire where you actually are, pre- are actually pre- producing the content that ultimately will will be a part of the intellectual property related to the transaction?
0: Each of those might have. Obviously, particular terms that are that are uh, specific to that kind of transaction.
1: That's correct, and and the important factor with regard to the, the the type of grant is is how to structure the overall transaction itself, and this applies to any of those type of agreements that we mentioned previously. For example, if you have uh, a, a work made for hire, you want to make sure that that those intellectual property rights are protected and they're 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 actually uh, going to be maintained by you as the entity. As opposed to transferring those rights, or or losing uh, the actual rights themselves to the third parties, uh, or granting them to other third parties, so so it's very important to to determine that structure on the front end. Then then within the framework of that structure, you 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 consider the scope and how extensive those rights need to be.
0: When you, what do you mean by that? How extensive?
1: So, so, for example, with the scope of rights, you want to consider uh, are these pre-existing uh, rights or, or newly created rights? So did the, the content uh, that was provided, is it pre-existing from previous projects that you're trying to transfer rights within uh, from from that project? Or, or is it new content that's being created uh, as a result of your your professional service that you're providing? Uh, that's one of the key components. And then the other thing you want to consider is this are there other ancillary products that could come out of that intellectual property? So are there physical assets or products that are associated with the intellectual property that should be included in your grant of rights and whether or not you want to include the scope of that uh, that grant, if you want to include the actual physical products that are ancillary and or uh, products of the intellectual property.
0: what kind of, I'm just curious, what kind of products uh, might might be, uh,
1: typical, yeah. As, as in, in terms of intellectual property, as you know, the asset, the, the brand itself is actually your key asset. So that brand, uh, in itself, in terms of whether it's trademark, copyright, or patent, those rights have intrinsic value. But beyond those those rights, you have the ability to create, uh, whether it be uh, productions that are associated and ancillary to. Uh, the actual project that you're working on that's tied sp- specifically to a person's individual brand or, or another brand that they may have created that's not specific to the project they're working on, but but have uh, other value outside of the scope of that project. So it, it could be anything from it could be you know posters. It could be uh, I'm, I'm using just a kind of a <laughs> general, yeah. type of product, but but it could be any product that relates to uh, the brand of that individual or that entity that they want to continue to maintain their rights within so that they, so that it's separate and apart from the individual project that they're working on.
0: As I'm listening to you talk, I would think these contracts could go grow pretty long as you're negotiating all these elements. Um,
1: What
0: what about the duration of, of the grant? Uh, Is that, is that part of what you normally negotiate?
1: Uh, Yes. It's very important to very, to clarify in detail, um, the, the, the timing and uh, associated with when the grant arises, as well as uh, the extent to how how long it will be extended. Uh, most of these type of entertainment agreements will have a very specific provision that specifies for a certain period of time the grant is provided uh, and for a certain uh, type of right that's being granted. And it's very important to clarify whether it's, you know, one week, one day, one year or 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 if it's going to extend for a much uh, longer period of time.
0: Maybe I guess whatever the duration is also I'd suppose clarifying if it's exclusive or uh, for that for that period of time.
1: True, that's that's correct. And and with exclusivity, the the one important factor to consider is uh there there may be components of of the of the, of the property that, that you want, that one, of the, that one artist, artist may want to maintain and keep uh, certain rights within that are exclusive of the other rights that they're transferring. So it, there could be a bifurcation of, of the different types of rights that are, that are granted so that they may be willing to transfer, for example, um, all of their you know, copyright uh, material, but, but, but maintain uh, the trademark associated with their brand. Uh, so that it's not transferred, or or they may want to keep uh, access, allow access to a certain uh, forms of intellectual property for a certain period of time, for to promote the the project, but limit the scope of that so that it's not extending throughout beyond the, the project itself.
0: That makes sense. Um, you know I, know, I know it's impossible in a, in a short podcast to to go over all the terms that you're going to find in a typical entertainment contract uh, contract, but are there a few other uh, kind of higher level items that you want to highlight?
1: Sure, uh, what, a few of those. One, what I would say is any conditions preceding and conditions subsequent. Uh, many times in, in the in the entertainment industry, there will be timing is very critical with regard to not only the um, the implementation of a production but the distribution of a production. So, based on that that timing timing dynamic, it's very important. Uh, that that any conditions precedent uh, be be covered on the front end, and that there are any transfer of rights that need to be done before the actual production of a project, or any um, there are limitations that need to be put in place upon the completion of a project. Those things need to be go- negotiated on the front end of the deal so that there is no question or ambiguity with regard to uh, the rights, how they will be transferred, who will maintain them, and ancillary uh, components of the production uh so so that and in, in in terms of the ability to exercise your rights of uh, within the scope of the agreement
0: well let's um we've covered a lot let's maybe pivot and talk about a couple concrete scenarios um let's start with a contract involving actors directors uh i guess in the film industry what are what are some issues again, at a high level that you would think about when you're doing a deal with those types of artists?
1: Yeah. I mean, it, it's, in particular with those type uh, agreements, you you have to be cognizant that uh, many of those professionals within that industry are part of SAC aftra which is the union associated with protecting the rights of those actors and, and other performers within the industry. Um, the reason that is important is because Uh, There are specific requirements and rules related to the use uh, and and agreements with uh, those those individuals. Because SAG-AFTRA has specific requirements, um, every entity, production company, whoever wants to utilize an actor or or actress that that is a member of that organization, um, they're required to be a signatory of SAG-AFTRA organization so that they have to follow a process of being uh, compliant with the agreements that are promulgated by the organization, uh, it takes them four to six weeks generally to to become signatories uh, to be able to access those individuals. That's why in many situations you'll find companies who, who hire out and hire production companies that are already signatories with SAG-AFTRA, uh so they don't have to go through the entire process uh, of becoming a signatory themselves. Uh, in that process. Um, they they also have limitations in terms of what what individuals they can they can utilize within the project. So if you have independent uh, you know independent contractors who who want to be a part of the project, uh, you have to be very careful to make sure that they're acceptable to SAG after if you are doing a project that involves SAG after participant members.
0: So I would think it just anything involving SAG and after just sounds like it adds multiple layers of of review and and and, um time to any negotiation
1: that's correct and and again it's after promulgates their their own form of agreements that you that have to be negotiated independently um, which is different than than if you're just negotiating an independent contractor agreement with 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 an actor or performer Um, so so that's very important but and you also have to acknowledge that there are other unions Within the industry as well, for for those individuals who are writers or directors, uh, you have the Directors Guild of America, you have the Writers Guild, um, and they all have their own independent uh, approach to protecting the rights of those individuals in the industry. So, so they have their own agreements that that are that are promulgated as well that have to be considered. So, the entire scope of your project uh, has has to consider not only the 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 general terms that are associated with. Um, Professional service agreements with the participants, but those additional requirements that may come along with being part of those union organizations. In
0: in most in most deals, are are you are you typically uh, does it typically involve a guild member or?
1: Many times it depends on whether or not the project is an independent project or or if it's a large scale project that's pretty large in scope to where it, it includes those individuals who are consistently working within the industry. Many of the entertainers who work within the industry do become members of SAG-AFTRA, one, because it gives them generally protections that they're looking for in terms of having uh, their rights for pension, health care, and other beneficiary rights, but also because it's widely accepted within the industry um, and, and that most of those individuals recognize the importance of, of being a member. So it. it you, you generally would have someone within your project that that's either a member uh, or associated with those who are members. So it's important to at least be knowledgeable about, um, about, about the issues themselves. Again, I think that it's, it's it's a high consideration for most companies if they, if they don't want to go through their entire process to, to independently contract with a production company or a production house who are associated with, with, the, with the union so that, so that, you don't have, they don't have to, the company itself doesn't have to meet those expectations.
0: Let's, let's turn to the the sports world. Um, If you're, if you're negotiating with sports figures, um, what are some of the checklist items that you think about in those, in those deals?
1: Well, uh, there, there, there are different types of uh, agreements associated with sports professionals and of course, the the ones we hear about mostly uh, in the media are you know professional service agreements, so which are the actual contracts with, with professional athletes is, is um, being compensated for providing the sports services that they provide, and those generally are subject to collective bargaining agreements with whatever professional league they are associated with. Um, then you have your endorsement contracts, which which are associated with companies wanting to utilize those individuals as celebrity as celebrities for celebrity endorsements. Um, and then finally, we have appearance agreements where those individuals will, will appear, make appearances, and be compensated for the appearances they they make uh, for purposes of promotion and, and endorsement as well. In regard to the endorsement uh, mm-hmm. side of um, the transactions, uh, you you have to be cognizant of, of the, some of the rules and regulations associated with the Federal Trade Commission because there are. Federal Trade Commission does provide guidance on the use of endorsements. Uh, and in testimonials and advertising, uh, the companies may that, that, that companies have to focus on in order to utilize those celebrities within their framework.
0: So, if you were, since you're here in Dallas, Darwin, if you were negotiating, uh, if there was a transaction to see if a member of the Dallas Cowboys could appear at a business to for an endorsement purposes, would that negotiation be with that? Sports performer, uh, professional, or is it also with the Dallas Cowboys organization?
1: No, that, that that's going to be a combination, uh, Nathan. You're going to, you, what ends up happening is you have you'll have negotiations with the actual uh, sports celebrity themselves, and they're and most more likely their agent because they they're, they're represented by agents themselves. Um, uh, and then there will also be uh, the, the consideration of their of that celebrity's uh, relationship with their franchised organization. So the, the agreements that they have with their franchise generally will include uh, provisions that, that cover what they can and cannot do uh, outside the scope of their services agreement. So the, many times these agreements are interrelated in a lot of ways, it, there's not a direct correlation in terms of specific terms within the agreements, but there's an association. Uh, so, so anytime a, a celebrity uh, or sports celebrity is utilized, you have to not only consider uh, the FTC guidelines, but you also have to consider uh, what their requirements are with regard to their association with their franchise, as well as the league itself under the collective bargaining agreement.
0: Well, let me ask you now about social media influencers. That's a uh, a growing field, um, and, and those artists have uh, – Rights and and uh, a lot of reach. So, how, how would you what would you think about it as you are structuring a transaction with an influencer?
1: Yes, uh, similar to um, the the celebrities, the sports celebrities, it, the the FTC, Federal Trade Commission, uh, does have a specific requirements associated with uh, the endorsement by social media influencers as well. Um, so, that's the one of the first things I would suggest is that you consider reviewing all of the requirements. And, and regulations associated with utilizing social media influencers within your framework of your advertising and promotion activities, if you're a company. Um, and then, you know, some of the things to consider contractually with regard to those, uh, those individuals would be, you know, making sure you, you know, that the influencer gains pre-approval uh, before they publish anything associated with your company or your product or your brand. Uh, you also want to make sure that, that they're, they're not uh, specifically, noted as a part of your business though that there is a there is a wall uh between the company your company and and the individual influencers themselves um and that's important for many reasons uh, of course and then you also have the the issue of making sure that the scope of what they will be endorsing and and how the approach they will take to do it is consistent with your best practices as a company um, which which also includes, you know, a social responsibility. So it's important to have like a social responsibility clause so that uh, you have a right to remove or take down um, anything associated with their post or, or promotion uh, that's not consistent with your brand or consistent with your values. Um, and because in, 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 as, we, as we, most of us are aware, um, you know, social media influencers uh, their, their, their brand could change any, at any given moment in time. So you have to make sure that you're uh, responsible enough as an organization to monitor that, that brand and monitor how that, their brand is, is is affiliated with yours.
0: Yeah. I was going to ask you why you think about these extra steps with social media influencers. And I guess it is, I mean, it's, and I don't know if it's also because influencers tend to sometimes not always be more controversial, maybe a little more unedited. You just <clears> want to make sure that it is in accord with your your company's culture and
1: values. That's 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 correct. And, and you know, and also you you want to make sure that you monitor the engagement uh, level of, of the audience of the social media influencers audience. I mean, many times in these in your agreements with your with these influencers, you want to make sure that their provisions that, that establish a minimum engagement requirement so that if they if they fall within a certain threshold of, of, of an engagement that um, that threshold uh, will not be detrimental to to, to to the promotion you're trying to provide and even seeing the value and in that enforces themselves
0: That's interesting um, I guess finally in terms of thinking of the types of artists what about musical artists what, what do you think about at a high level when you're approaching a transaction with a musician.
1: Yeah, uh, with with musicians, um, you know, most most musical artists if, if will generally have a relationship with a publisher, a music publisher of some sort. So most a lot of the licensing issues are generally handled by the the, the publishing companies associated with the music. However, you you will um, you will see where uh, a lot of um, companies will utilize artists, whether it be for live events or or specific um, performances that they need them to produce. Um, and there are agreements that, that are promulgated to, to address those issues, whether it be live or not. And so some of the things to consider with regard to that is one, you want to make sure that uh, you, the company has the right to use that name, the artist's name and likeness uh, when they're promoting uh, whatever specific event. Sometimes that's, um, it, it's usually a general industry norm to, to do that, uh, but you know, you'd know be surprised that sometimes when we're talking about musicians, if they're performing uh, and they think of the performance aspect, but not thinking about the ability to promote uh, that performance, and so that should always be included. Another thing should be con- uh, considered uh, is the ability to, to, to protect your, your company from any of the liabilities that could be associated with not only the artist's performance, but, but some of the the, the rights in the music or intellectual property that the artist may be utilizing in their performance. So you want to make sure that their, the agreement uh, provides for, uh, that they have the authority to act in, in, in behalf on, on their own behalf and that they have the, uh, their, the, the work that they're performing is their original work and or they have the right to obtain the rights from other parties and there's no lien or encumbrance on those rights. Um, you also want to consider, you know, commissions that they need to, to obtain from third parties, uh, as far as releases and the like, uh, to to deal with their their actual performance.
0: Oh my gosh, Darwin, you've covered a lot a lot of ground here. Um, it's an incredible survey. Uh, as I mentioned, I know it's. I feel like we could probably talk another hour, and you still wouldn't exhaust all the different things you think about when you're approaching these transactions. But uh, any other kind of takeaway points you'd want to add before we wrap this up?
1: I think I think one last thing that would be important to mention are, are the talent agent considerations and um, and the implications there. Um, anytime you're working with anyone within the industry um, that's that's a participant, you want to make sure that there's not an existing uh, arrangement with, with an agent or someone representing them in their management capacity. Uh, and if there is, you want to make sure that, that, that it's clear that that person or company is authorized to act on behalf of that uh, that individual or per, that a group, um, and that should be clearly stated in your in the agreement, so that so there's no question about who has the capacity to contract on behalf of that party. Um, that's, it's also important to address whether or not that that those rights are exclusive to that to a particular agent, or if they're they're using a specific agent for specific parts of their um their their brand as opposed to as opposed to the entire brand. And then finally, um, you know, the reason that's especially important is because when it comes to distribution of funds in terms of compensation and or access to books and records, you want to make sure it's clear whether or not that your company has the authority to to work directly with the artist or or whether or not they have the ability authority to to work directly with the agent or both.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. I would think with entertainers, you could have any number of people who claim to have the authority to act on the entertainer's behalf. So it's important to make sure you're, you're dealing with the right people. That's correct. Well, Darwin, thank you so much for this. Really appreciate it. Um, before we sign off today, I just want to invite listeners to visit uh, Haines Boone's revamped website at Hainesboone.com, where you'll find the firm's media and entertainment litigation practice page which contains links to our media, entertainment, and First Amendment newsletter, and also to all of our HB Media Minute podcasts, which are also available on all popular podcast platforms. Thanks for listening, and I hope you'll tune in next time for HB Media Minute.